Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Harry's podcast. The last few weeks I've been doing a ramble pod off no notes whatsoever. This week is going to be the first scramble pod because I'll be scrambling around a bit but that's okay because I think I've got some good things to share with you and will hopefully get you thinking. First of all I hope your projects are going well but if they aren't going as well as you hoped they were then at least take some positivity from the fact that you are attempting something and that you've started something and that puts you ahead of 90% of people and maybe you've even finished something you've finished the first draft of a script or the rough cut of a short film which in that case puts you in the top 5% and the fact that you're not content with that and you want to keep getting better that probably puts you in the top 2% so please take some positivity that you are improving and you're doing the main thing that we all should strive for. The only thing that really matters is that you're trying something and you're getting better. Okay, I'm glad I got that off my chest. A quick Harry show update before I delve into a lot of different topics. Writing this week, had a couple of days writing and managed to try out something called, and I'm probably calling this the wrong thing, the Pomodoro technique. Google that. I'm pretty sure it's called the Pomodoro Technique. But essentially, I saw on Twitter someone talk about this technique and it was a way of working and writing and breaking things down into chunks of 25 minutes. It can be shorter, it can be a little bit longer, but you do work for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then you give yourself a five-minute break and then you come back and you do 25 minutes and you have a little break. And so I tried that for two days on the bounce. And it was actually really helpful. It, it was uh, it was productive. I managed to do kind of three hours both days and I was getting the ideas down. I was getting some dialogue down and I felt I was even setting an alarm uh, on my phone, getting the 25 minutes done, taking a little break, making a coffee, making lunch. The interesting thing is after you do a couple of these 25 minutes, you do start to feel the brain naturally wander and the, the breaks in between kind of get a little bit more difficult to, you know, keep yourself focused and disciplined. I felt myself by the third 25 minutes, I felt myself reaching for a book or quickly checking something online. And then I was kind of losing grip on that uh, discipline. But it's definitely something I'm going to stick with, uh, the Pomodoro technique, which I'm probably calling it by the wrong term but yeah i saw it on twitter someone mentioned it i believe it was from a book called deep work um which is a book i've not read yet it has been on my list for a little while i'm kind of obsessed with productivity books that's not one i've got around to yet but yeah i recommend that one maybe try it out yourself you know obviously i'm not going to crack it just off two days but i can imagine if you stick to it long term that is it is super productive so I'm, I'm going to keep doing that one and I'll keep you updated on it. This week, uh, I managed to go on a location recce with the cinematographer Jim Embry for the short film Horror Cells. Now in this short film, part of it is I walk home and it kind of gets a bit creepy and a bit paranoia thriller-esque on my walk home as it gets kind of darker and then I get into my flat. So we went round and looked at the exteriors around Manchester, which is, you know, great for kind of creepy uh, urban exteriors. So we, we went round a few places. We found a tunnel that we really like 
the look of that I have to have to go under. We still have to find another tunnel that is a bit more peculiar and a bit more uh, creepy. So we're still trying to find that one. But it was really useful just to walk around Manchester with Jim and talk about the shots. And I had an idea of the short film kind of getting more uh, claustrophobic and tighter as the short film goes on. So we talked about that and and how we wanted to keep shots uh, wide at the beginning of when I'm walking home and and, and how that's going to help the narrative and help the sort of the paranoia. So we're still talking about that and we're still exchanging uh, visual references over WhatsApp and, and it's good. The only problem at the moment with that film is we're still looking for an interior and because of this slight COVID lockdown in Manchester, um, it's it's probably going to get pushed back a little bit again, which is frustrating. So I am trying to write something, you know, more simple that I can shoot sort of the week of the 17th. So I am shooting something in August and then uh, Horror Cells seems like it's destined for September. The actors that were emailing last week, uh, I've asked a couple of them to do a self-tape. So that's going to be interesting just to see, you know, what they do with the character. And I haven't been very prescriptive in the email, I've sort of given them a little bit more detail on the character and I've said, you know, please can you wear something that you think fits the character. In the script, I've said it's a pinstripe, posh, Ralph Lauren shirt, but not everyone has got that. So it will be interesting to see what I get back next week. This week on the TV show front, I have been coming up with ideas. I've only really come up with one idea that has kind of excited me and I'm meant to be getting some pages done to to give to Lee on October the 1st. I've said to him that I'm going to write a couple of one-page sort of pitches that I'm going to run by him early September. And I'm also going to pitch the ideas to a few close people and just see if any of them excite them or interest them. Uh, and that will kind of give me more confidence because I think you can, I don't know how everyone else works in terms of getting ideas, but you can get an idea and it can excite you for a couple of hours or even a couple of days, but you do forget in that moment that you probably stuck with this idea for maybe a year, you know, or longer. So it, it's very easy to fall in love with an idea and then it's easy to fall out of love with an idea. And I know from previous experience that the idea is king and you do want to come up with uh, well I personally want to come up with a really bold idea for this next thing that I write because the last thing I wrote early days was kind of a very realist TV comedy maybe even to a fault you know it's uh, it's kind of subtle dry comedy uh, and maybe it'll help me as a writer to try something that's a bit more bold and jumps off the page a bit more so I've been thinking about that and that I want to get maybe three or four one page pitches down to share with Lee and and go from there. I think that's a good plan. This week, although I've not been doing as much writing as I'd hoped, I have always been doing a lot of thinking about where the industry's at and I've been inhaling the industry news. I've been listening to the Roger Deakins podcast that I should be on commission for at the moment because I'm telling a couple of people a day to get listening to it. And it got me thinking about where the industry's at at the moment and how that can be kind of scary and anxiety inducing for wannabe filmmakers because you know you want to you want to work in this industry which at the moment is kind of on a life support machine i can only imagine what you know aspiring theater practitioners are going through because you know we if we think film and tv have got it bad 
theatre is in an even darker place. So it's got me thinking about that and how we obviously can't control that. And so I've been trying to switch that off in my in my mind in terms of thinking about that because that isn't a positive state of mind and it's not helping anyone. And I've also been thinking a lot about how the industry's changed over the last 30 years and the people that I sort of emulated growing up, such as Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, um, Steven Soderbergh, people that went out and, and made their debut films, why isn't that, or why doesn't it seem like that's happening now? So for example, I've been thinking the last couple of weeks and I've been sharing this with people as well and I've not really had any clarity over this. There's great filmmakers that didn't really make any good short films. For example, Paul Thomas Anderson, in my opinion, never made a good short film, but he's a great filmmaker. Christopher Nolan, another one, from my knowledge, has never made a good short film. I've seen Doodlebug on YouTube. You should check it out. It's not a good short film. And, but yet these are great filmmakers, some of the greatest filmmakers of their generation. And you have now, you have sort of 25, 30 years later, you have thousands and thousands of filmmakers that are making stunning work. Um, you know, you only have to go on Vimeo or Short of the Week. And there are, you know, we're inundated with brilliant short films uh, sort of every day or what feels like every day. And then you have statistics like, you know, 85% of people who make a first feature film don't make another one. And obviously the, the, the percentages of that, the percentages of that are even worse for female filmmakers or people of color. So what, what's happening there? What's, what's the reason for that? And obviously everyone says, or it's a cliche at this point that, you know, it's never been easier to make a film. And, and you hear that a lot, you know, get out there and make your film. And I think I've been guilty of it to a certain extent, but I guess the way I say it is, I, I'm saying make a short film, you know, get out there and make something. But it's, it's kind of been um, sort of bastardized to say, get out there and make your feature film. And yet you have these thousands and thousands of, of brilliant filmmakers producing this brilliant work, and yet um, they're not making feature films. And the ones that are, they don't make a second feature film. So, so why is that happening? Is the industry not playing its part in developing talent? It seems like the industry aren't really built for that. And you know, I think, for example, agents, you know, a lot of people think that agents are, are talent spotters when that isn't really their job. Their job isn't to spot talent. Their job is to get their current clients work. So they're not in the, the, the job of developing talent. And so I think with, with people like Kevin Smith, he was somebody who, you know, put his neck on the line and put $30,000 or whatever it was on a credit card and made a feature film. And he made a good feature film. Like, obviously, some people don't like Clerks. Some people love it. It really inspired me when I first saw it. And, you know, he, he made a feature film. He was inspired by Richard Linklater and he got out there and he made a film. He dropped out of film school and he made a film. And I wonder then, even though we have thousands and thousands of filmmakers, none of them are making a feature film. And again, the ones that are, maybe that first feature film is rushed and it's not very good. Because at the end of the day, if you make a not very good feature film, then that's probably cause for concern. And that's probably why you're not going to make another one because you've had a bad experience on the first one and you know you're not likely to to do it again it also made me think of how filmmakers again rush into things and feel an anxiety towards doing it and they see their heroes who made their 
feature film at 30 or, you know, Spielberg at 25 or 26 or an Orson Welles who was even younger or, you know, and you can see those people and you, you get anxiety from, I need to do this, I need to do this. You know, I was guilty of it myself. You know, I've got to make a feature film before I'm 30 and now I'm I'm 31 and I haven't. And I think it's a, it is a poisonous way of thinking, but it but it is only natural. You can't hate yourself for doing it because it's almost human nature. I don't know a filmmaker that doesn't do it. And I think it it's kind of, you have to, as cheesy as it sounds, you have to know yourself and you have to know your own development and you need to keep working towards that. And that's what I'm trying to do with this project. And that's what I would say to you out there. Just learn to know yourself better, learn to know your work better and make a plan that is going to work for you and your development. Because I think at the moment, and and the penny dropped a couple of weeks ago, is that a lot of filmmakers are trying to emulate work that they cannot achieve. For example, if you are trying to compete with, you know, a Shaun of the Dead, it's almost impossible because you might have done two short films, you might have done five, you might have done ten. But the thing is, you aren't that filmmaker. Not only the the talent and the skill set of that filmmaker, but you haven't got the human experience. So there is kind of only one Tarantino and he had to go through what he had to go through. You know, he had a first feature film that was a total disaster and he learned from that and then he made his first film. And also he was living in a different time and he was living in a different place. And of course, you're living now and you're living where you're at, wherever you're at. And I think you look at somebody like Edgar Wright and people might aspire to to create work like him straight out the gate, but he had to go through what he had to go through. He had to make his first feature film when he was 20, I think it was. And I don't know if you've seen the first feature film by Edgar Wright, but you don't have to, because I have seen it. And again, I'll repeat, you really don't have to. And... You know, obviously I I jest because at the end of the day he made a feature film and it got him to the next level. He moved to London, which again is important. He moved to London and that's how he met David Walliams and, you know, that's how he got working in TV and commercials and that's how he met Simon Pegg. And also, you know, he, he made two TV series and without Spaced, he then doesn't have the ability to make Shaun of the Dead. So I know I'm labouring the point here, but what I would say is, again... If you're trying to to jump up to that level or you're you're even writing a script and aspiring to make that sort of feature film, it's an, it's admirable. Of course it's admirable. And you might even be able to do it. But I would think the better thing and the more natural thing that is going to make you um, do your most original work is, is work out those stepping stones to what you can do. And I'm not saying lower the bar. I'm definitely not saying lower the bar, but... I just think that's a, a an interesting way of thinking about it. And whilst I'm on this topic of sort of success and different paths and right time and right place, I can't talk about these things without talking about Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Now, it's a cliche to say a book changed your life, but this book definitely has the power to do that. If you've not read it, please read it, download it illegally or steal it from a bookstore. It's pretty incredible. And I think about it a lot. Um, I probably think about it more than Seth Godin's Poke the Box. But essentially, Outliers is a book about success and it's a book analysing how people achieve success. 
And I think the thing that I take from it a lot in terms of the film industry is that idea of being in the right place at the right time because everyone talks about the film industry in terms of connections and contacts and it's it's very interesting when it talks about that. You know, for example, it talks about um, Silicon Valley and it talks about the wealthiest people on planet Earth and it talks about people like Bill Gates and it says essentially, or, you know, Malcolm Gladwell shows you how those people could only get to where they're at because they were born in a certain year because if they were a year before or a year after, maybe it doesn't happen for them and they were near technology. You know, if Bill Gates wasn't born near a computer, then it doesn't happen. So, uh, or it doesn't happen for him. You know, someone else maybe creates Microsoft. I guess the reason I mention that is because uh, I think a lot about time and place and contacts. And I'm sure you think about luck as well in terms of the film industry, because, you know, you can create work and keep creating work. But how are you going to improve your chances of standing out and getting someone to believe in you or getting people to invest in your work. And I'm sure you've maybe thought of, you know, what happens if I make the move to London? Or maybe you're already living in London and you go, should I make the move to LA? And there are these variables in the film industry. And maybe you look at your heroes and go, well, you know, Christopher Nolan moved to Los Angeles and he played it very clever, made a feature film in England, then which did well. Then he moved to LA and made his his American film, which was, in my opinion, pretty masterful. And a lot of people thought that was his first film and that played to his advantages. So I've been thinking a lot about that and how, you know, obviously you've got to work hard and you've got to get the work done and you've got to decide your own path. But is there a way that you can alter that and improve your chances? And also when it comes to your heroes, you know, quite a lot of what people tell you is to almost mimic them or to copy what they've done. But then that might not necessarily work. You know, just because somebody's done something doesn't mean that you can do it and have the same results, of course. You know, I've, I read Adrian Tomine's uh, latest graphic novel the other week and thought it was brilliant. And I watched a webinar with him and he said the most common question that he gets is how did he start illustrating for The New Yorker? And he said it doesn't really matter my answer because his answer is outdated because he essentially went into the New Yorker office and took the lift up and gave his portfolio in and you can't do that now you know that was that was pre-email and he just kind of walked in dodged security which I'm sure you can't do now at the New Yorker offices and he gave his portfolio to a woman on the desk and she passed it on to the person they loved his drawings and they rang him up if you were to copy and you were to copy the Robert Rodriguez's or the the Kevin Smiths and go out and make your feature film, that isn't um, that might not cut it because again, eighty five percent of filmmakers make a first film, they don't make a second film, and you might be jumping the gun, you might be rushing it. And I was talking yesterday on Skype to a filmmaker friend. Um, and we were talking because he, he's thinking about developing something very low budget as well and, and trying to shoot it. And we were talking about how you have to really make something original and and bold and, and make it stand out because, and it, and it reminded me of a really great quote from Rebel Without a Crew that we were talking about for a little while, which is essentially you the worst thing you can do is try and make what the industry is already making because they're already making that. 
And so they don't want it. They can make it better than you. And they can also put stars in it. And even then it can fail. So why would you make something that they can already make? The, the number one thing you can do, and this is what Robert Rodriguez says, is you make something that they do not have the balls to make because they're not willing to take the risk. Whereas you can take the risk because you're unknown, nobody knows who you are, and you're not spending a hell of a lot of money on it. So that is the key. Keep it cheap, have freedom, be creative, make sure it's original as hell and only you could make it. And what makes me laugh coming back to Tarantino is he was at Comic-Con, I think it was, or some sort of event, and a fan got up and asked him about this, about the fact that technology has never been more easy to get hold of, you know, and essentially how can you break through now? And this was, I think, 10 years ago, you know, this filmmaker was asking this. This this fan, sorry, was asking Tarantino this. And Tarantino kind of smugly says, if you make a film as good as Reservoir Dogs, you'll be okay. And it kind of gets a big laugh. And, you know, you've kind of got to agree with him. You know, I'm not the world's biggest Tarantino fan, but I think a lot of people have this worry, and I've got family members like this as well, they have this worry that even if you create something and it's brilliant, it still might not be enough. It still might not be enough to get noticed. And I call me, you know, an optimist, which is what I am at heart, but I believe that. I, I think I think if you make something and it's good enough, you, you will break through. Because, you know, show, show me someone who has made a, a very good feature film and has still not broken through and, and there's no notice of them. You know, I, I just, I, I find it hard to believe that they exist. I think there's a lot of filmmakers who've made bad feature films and they're working in retail or they're doing what they're doing, you know, and that might be because, well, no, it's definitely because the film's not good. You know, they're not giving out careers for just because you can make one. And I think 30 years ago, it was the same. They weren't giving out careers just because you'd made one. I think 30 years ago, it was more special that you'd made one because you'd at least made one and that was that was really impressive. It's obviously less it's less impressive these days because anyone can make one and it doesn't mean it's going to be good. And the other thing I was saying to my friend on Skype was that just because the technology is more available and anyone can make a film, that only makes it easier to make a film. You know, it makes being a filmmaker easier. It doesn't make a better filmmaker. Also, it makes it easier to become better, but that still takes a certain type of person to have that perseverance and to have that passion. And so that technology isn't going to automatically make you a more tenacious, persistent, passionate filmmaker. And the last thing I'll say on this is that the difference between the 30 years or maybe the, the similarity in the 30 years is that writing and directing a feature film, I believe, is, is the most impressive artistic endeavour. And it doesn't matter what technology is about and how easy they make it to make a film. They make the cameras better, they make the editing simpler, all the different apps you can get, shot list, all this stuff. It doesn't matter how easy they make the process. Actually writing a good script and making a good film is as hard, if not harder, than it was 30 years ago. So you you have to battle with that. And, and that's why I think ultimately you can have thousands and thousands of filmmakers making very good short films. But 
stepping up to that feature film level and making a good feature film is always going to be very, very difficult, no matter where you're coming from. I don't mean that to end on a negative because I actually see it as a positive because it's it's something really great to aspire towards. And when I was chatting to Tim Woodall, the filmmaker now living in Canada over Skype, we kind of both took that as a positive. It was a positive conversation we were having. And he said, it feels like he's in training. And I really love that phrase because it's it's something I've been feeling, but I, I haven't put it in those words. And to say that you're in training for something feels very uh, exciting. And my personality type, and I don't know when this came about because I wasn't like this in school, but I do have that personality type now of improving and and and. I love reading and I love learning and and to be honest, you know, it is around writing and it is around filmmaking. And sadly, uh, you know, for my school grades, it didn't really spread over to anything else. But the idea of being in training is is so fitting, uh, and I love that. And I hope you're also feeling like that in terms of your work, and it's not feeling like a chore because. I think at worst for me, you know, you don't have any passion towards it. You do have low days and you go, oh, you know, I've got to do that. And it feels like homework and it's not meant to feel like that. It's obviously meant to feel creative and playful. And I think the idea of being in training for something and improving and having fun and setting a, a really ambitious goal and achieving it, like I wish that for everybody. And I think that's what we should all be aspiring towards. So that is my scramble pod for this week. I know I've not left you with answers. I've I've merely brainstormed to a microphone, but the last week I've been I've been thinking about those things and how I'm not in a rush like I used to be and I don't believe you should be in a rush because I think there are pros and cons for every path. And you have to, if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, it is you've got to learn to know yourself better, your work better. You need to visualize those next steps in your work. And that's all you need to head towards. And the rest will take care of itself. And I think, you know, although some filmmakers might be listening to this, they might be doing approaching things a different way and they might disagree. And that's totally cool. You know, there might be filmmakers out there that have done a couple of short films and now they've got some development funding for a feature film. So they're writing that feature film script and that's that's great, that's brilliant. But what I would say to those filmmakers is be as positive as you can in that position, but also know this has to be long-term and this has to be a career. And you know, for every one person that's in development and it works out, there are many, many more where that doesn't work out for them. And obviously the statistic that I said before that I'm gonna beat you over the head with, 85% of filmmakers don't make a second feature. You know, I don't really want to end on that note, but that, that is just a fact. I never thought I would say this, but I am weirdly missing networking with filmmakers. Even though I'm the most awkward person in the room, I am missing that. And so I think going forward, I would like to do something. I don't really want to do it over Zoom because that can be really awkward, but I think I would love to get 10 or 15 directors or writers uh, or a mixture in a room at least once a month and and get talking and get thinking of of something if anyone loves the idea of that 
then please drop me a message because I think that could be really special. And, you know, sometimes I do help filmmakers and, and, you know, I get a little bit of a buzz out of it. It's not a totally a selfless thing. You know, I do like helping other filmmakers. Sometimes I'm so busy and things, you know, fall by the wayside and I won't read the odd script or watch the odd short film. And I'm really sorry. Sometimes maybe you've got to pester me a bit, but I do love the idea of 10 people in a room helping each other and trying to get that spirit that I seem to have fallen in love with 30 years ago, filmmakers sort of helping each other and those, those filmmakers that went to Sundance or even, you know, more recently, the mumblecore filmmakers that were, the pit, were pitching in on each other's films. And I think maybe if there was more of that community, then that 85% would definitely be going down and, and more people would be making more films more often. So thank you for listening. As always, this podcast is produced by Ryan McMurray at Bracken Audio, and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.